Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. It is so nice of you to join me. So I'm not just simply talking to myself uh, into a microphone, but I'm actually having people listen to this. So I appreciate you listening to this episode. And today we're going to be talking about how to lose weight without obsessing about your calories and your exercise. So if you're not exactly sure how to set up your calories, how to set up your macronutrients, make sure you download my three-step guide or my three-step fat loss calculator guide, which is going to give you not only the amount of estimated calories you should consume based on your goals, but also some macronutrient targets that you can start with if you're not really sure what your macronutrients should be. And these macronutrient targets are simply just baseline targets. So when it comes to protein, you want to be able to get definitely a certain amount of protein each day. And that's going to depend wildly wildly on the type of person that you are, your activity levels and your goals. But for the most part, that's going to recommend a very standard protein intake. And then it's also going to recommend a carb and fat intake that is sort of I don't know, middle of the road, so to speak. And you can adjust those things um, to whatever you like. You might be, a, you know, might be able to adhere to your calories better if you have a lower carb approach. You might be the kind of person who's a vegetarian or a vegan and your protein intake is dependent on plant-based foods. And so your carbs are going to be higher. Your fats might be a little bit more moderate and your protein might be slightly lower than the recommended amount, but, uh, you know, within good reason. And so there's lots of flexibility with it. I don't want anyone to think that they can't have flexibility with their macronutrients based on their preference for eating. So you do not have to be an animal eater in order to get enough protein. It might be a little bit more challenging, but you can definitely do it. It is in the scope of a reason. And then I also don't want people to feel like they have to eat a high amount of carbs in order to lose weight if they prefer and they find they're better adhering to their calorie targets with a higher fat approach. There's lots of flexibility within the macronutrient sphere or world that you can pretty much do whatever you want within reason and get the results you're looking for if you keep calories controlled. So make sure you download that if you haven't already. And if for whatever reason you put in your email information and you don't get the download, make sure you check your spam folder. Sometimes because, you know, email marketing can be, unfortunately, a lot of email marketers can sort of just spam you with stuff. Sometimes because I'm in the fitness industry, it gets targeted as that, even though I certainly am not spamming anyone with my emails. You talk to any, any one of my email subscribers and you probably hear from me once a week. Uh, you know, sometimes when I'm running a program or something, you might hear from me three or four times a week, but that happens you know, seasonally as opposed to like every week. I'm certainly not in the business of spamming anyone who you know, has been nice enough to share their email with me. Um, but you know, uh, make sure you check the spam folder. And if for whatever reason you still don't get it, please contact me and let me know because uh, sometimes technology is just buggy and no amount of diligent troubleshooting on my end will fix that. It's just the way, you know, some things work. So make sure you let me know. But anyway, if you already downloaded that and you've been, you know, doing some you know, fun looking around and tracking your calories. Uh, we're going to talk about some ways that you can make sure that you don't overly obsess about things like calories, macros, you know, protein, uh, you know, all the different things that we tend to, you know, if we're really trying to lose weight, we tend to go from a, a state of not really caring about our weight or caring about our weight, but not really care, caring about doing the things that help control our weight, like calories and macros. Um, or exercise or lifting weights or whatever, you know, there's two sides of that coin. And, and we generally are either maintaining sort of the way we're at or we've gained weight over a long period of time and we want to lose that weight. Um, and so if you're sort of getting back in the swing of jumpstarting your, your weight loss journey or, or maybe simply you just want to be healthier, which and you know, those can definitely be relatable. Uh, you know, if you're excessively overweight, then being a normal weight is a good thing. Um, and that's actually where I want to start with this. Uh, so it's important to understand sort of what a healthy weight is for your height um, and, you know, how that relates to other things that your weight is comprised of. Because if you simply just use the BMI scale, you know, and the, the chart that every doctor likes to re reference, you're, you're going to get very frustrated and you're going to get frustrated for no reason because that thing is wildly inaccurate. Even the creator of the, of the actual... 
um, chart, well, he was a mathematician and even he'll say, yeah, this is like, you know, pretty inaccurate. There's a lot of variance within this, this that can, that can occur. And so to follow it to a T is probably not a good idea. And that's a good place to start. So when you look at the science that's been done on, you know, uh, being healthy, being a healthy weight and understanding what's important for that, two things come to mind. The first thing is within the BMI scale, you know, your height and weight ratio can be a plus or minus of about 50 pounds. And that's a very wide difference. So you can technically, you know, like I'm 5'6", and I think it's recommended that I weigh like 140 pounds, which if you were to look at me now, you would definitely say he does not weigh 140 pounds. But if I was to weigh 140 pounds, I would look sickly. Like you might actually wonder what's wrong with me. And the reason why I weigh, you know, I'd say about 20 to 30 pounds heavier than my recommended weight for my height is because I have a significant amount of muscle mass for my height. Like I'm not, I don't have like the world's greatest amount of muscle mass for my height, but for somebody my height, I have more muscle mass than I have fat mass. And so my weight is higher, but my body fat is also, you know, relatively on the lower end. So that's an important thing to understand is that your your healthy weight for your height can be plus or minus 50 pounds to what you, you know, to what that recommends. So I could, I might be able to be healthy at 200 pounds. I might be able to be healthy at, you know, uh, you know, something lower on like the, uh, I'd say somewhere in like the man, like 145. Although I, I can't imagine being 145 pounds, <laughs> but as you can see, it, it varies widely and it's highly dependent on the person. It really is like, it's, that's why the range is sort of just a place for you to play with. I would never explore the super low range and I would never really want to explore the super high range. The weight that I am for my height to me is more important in understanding that my body fat to muscle ratio is relatively within the healthy ranges. So that's the second thing to keep in mind is that your body fat percentage is going to help you determine if you're in a healthy range for, you know, just being healthy. So, you know, for men, that's usually as low as 10%, although that might not be sustainable for most men. So, you know, 10 to 20% is where you start to see things you know, be in the healthy range, that range is good. If you start getting north of 20%, you might notice some, you know, ill uh, health effects as a result of that, especially as you age. And I would say that body fat for men typically goes up with age uh, as our priorities have, you know, shifted from, hey, look at my muscles in the gym to, hey, I need to make money for my family. And sometimes I might not, you know, <laughs> spend all the time I need to uh, at the gym or on my diet. And, and it's just managing that and making sure it doesn't get out of control, which is really a priority. For women, there's, there tends to be quite a larger range for body fat percentages. Uh, and that range is, you know, can go as low as 17% on average, all the way up to 32%. Uh, it, it really depends for women more than anything, I would say, because women have uh, fat deposits on their body that are more beneficial than others. That women that store fat in their breasts and their hips or their butt are going to be healthier than women who store fat in their stomachs. And, you know, if you look across the gender spectrum, so male and female, you'll notice that for both men and women, storing fat in the stomach is uh, less ideal than storing fat in specific areas. And for men, it tends to be a lot less because we do not have reproductive needs for uh, body fat in certain areas. Uh, having excess of body fat for us is not necessarily a good thing at all. In fact, we want to stay sort of in the middle to low range if we can manage it uh, and manage that to the best of our abilities. We, there's far more... Uh, or I should say there's far less leniency uh, for error when it comes to male body fat percentages than there is for uh, female. In fact, that's one of the reasons why having lower than a 17% body fat range for women could potentially be harmful for their reproductive health and just their hormonal health in general. So um, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And I, I think that mo more than men, women need to hear this because of sort of the societal pressure to be a certain body type, which I think is ridiculous because like at least amongst me and my male friends, most of us like women with a little extra padding on them. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an extra lean woman, but I just think that the societal pressures that women face 
you know, be it, uh, you know, something they, they deal with on a daily basis is probably largely exaggerated uh, when it comes to what males actually want. Uh, so that's, I'll save that for a different time, but um, that's sort of what you want to keep in mind is that your your weight is really going to be highly flexible based on your body fat percentage. And I would even say that women that have sort of the upper amount of body fat, you know, based on that range that I gave you, 17 to 32%, if you store the majority of that in your breast tissue and your hips and your butt, then you're in a better place than some uh, than other women that might store it in their stomachs. And that's because our vital organs are around our stomachs, and we don't necessarily want excess fat in that area. It's only going to produce um, a less desirable result when it comes to health, and you know, arguably, uh, when it comes to you know physical appearance. You know, it you might be a woman who's trying to strive for a leaner waist, and so you know that's a that's a generally a good goal to have. Uh, you don't have to have a six pack and be razor sharp thin, but you know, cutting back the amount of fat that's stored on your stomach and uh, you know, instead having that fat in your breasts, your hips and your thighs and your butt is is definitely a better place to have it. And please do not take that as a as a license to go out and inject <laughs> to take the fat from your stomach and inject in your butt. You want to do it in in healthy and non-surgical ways if at all possible, which is very doable. Uh, the best way to to prioritize that if you're a woman listening to is to strength train, to focus on, you know, uh, your diet and your nutrition in a in a calorie deficit that's both manageable and, and relatively, um, you know, within reason, easy to adhere to, because I'll be the first to tell you that adhering to a diet is probably the most important thing possible. And you want to try to create all the parameters you can, uh, you know, tweaking things here and there to create adherence, because the diet that you download online that tells you not to eat carbs to lose fat might not be the best way that you adhere to a calorie deficit. And that's important to understand that there's individual variants when it comes to macronutrients and how you can best adhere to a diet. Some women or some men in general, so just people in general, might adhere better to a diet when they have higher carbs. Maybe they perform more in the gym. Maybe they're more active. Carbs are going to help fuel your, your activities more than fats are. You might be a more sedentary person. You might get full quicker and be able to stick to an eating plan that prioritizes fats, that uh, reduces overall carb intake to a maybe a moderate to low amount, and then obviously keeps protein pretty much uh, uh, static. And that's an important thing to understand is that there's there's that level of flexibility. Um, when when you look at the driver of most health problems, you look at it from a perspective of calories being about sixty percent of the. A level of importance. So 60% of your health is dependent on the amount of calories you consume over the lifetime and understanding the balance of that. And you could relate that to money if you wanted to make it you know, a little bit more fun to think about. If you consistently save a little bit more money or invest a little bit more money than you spend over a long period of time over your lifetime, then you're substantially going to have more money at the end of your life. On the flip side, when it comes to health, if you substantially eat more calories than you burn over the, your course of your life, you will have excess body fat. But if you sort of, you know, have some periods of your life where maybe you're, you know, eating a, a little bit more calories than you probably need, and you, as a result, develop more body fat, um, you know, and then you, you sort of manage that or, or you know, keep that in check with periods of time where you're in a calorie deficit and you're eating, you know, substantially less calories than you're burning over a period of time and you try to keep that balance, then you're going to be able to maintain a pretty healthy body fat level. And that's going to be a very good thing to keep in mind. So I wanted to start off by saying that because I think it's a good place to start is understanding sort of what the parameters are. Because part of the issue with being obsessive is really not knowing what where the parameters are. And thinking that you have to be so very specific with every single thing every single day. And if you deviate from that at all, that the world's going to come crashing down. You're going to suddenly turn on fat hormones or fat storing hormones. And, and you're going to have to start the process all over again. Um, just so you know, the process starts all over again every single day. So there's not like, there's not like fat burning momentum uh, as I have sort of come to think of it. There is a such thing as momentum. You know, you could, uh, you know, binge eat on the weekends and and 
presumably destroy your momentum with your calorie deficit. But I think that's more of a mindset uh, correction you need to make, other than rather rather than a you know physical or a physiological phenomenon. I think that more times than not, the hardest part about dieting is being sort of stuck in your own head. So the more education and understanding you have about dieting, the more flexibility you understand that you have, the easier it is to not obsess about your calories or your exercise. I think we're given so much information that is interpreted very literally that we tend to forget that there is a lot of fluidity with some of these things. Like a good example of this, just to provide an example, is you know I'll have clients that reach out to me and say, "Hey, um, I'm not going to lie, but I definitely went like about 300 calories over uh, two times over the weekend, so Saturday and Sunday." Um, and they'll feel discouraged. They'll feel sort of like uh, there's something wrong with them. They don't understand why they can't control their calories on the weekends. All these different things and. The first thing I tell them is it's okay. Like, you know, don't stress out about it. There's, you know, the fact that you were even tracking that is amazing because now we can look at that and go, oh, okay, well, let's see what you did here. Okay, that makes sense. You had a couple of drinks here. Uh, oh, well, you know, let's look at this. You know, why did you have 600 calories of chocolate chips? <laughs> you know, and sort of present the awareness to them. And, you know, when I work with my clients, the, the one thing I tell them is, listen, I, you're going to have periods of time where you consume more calories, especially on the weekends. If you can do your best to track those things, I can provide empathetic but also sort of strict guidelines on how to make that better. It's not about trying to be perfect every single time. It's about being aware of the of what's going on, right? If you go 300 calories over on Saturday, 300 calories over on Sunday, I'm not going to go, well, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Why couldn't you control yourself? Why don't you have any self-control? You have no discipline. What's wrong with you? How effective do you think that's going to be? Very little to 0% effective. At least I've never seen it work. And I think that's the wrong mental approach to take to it. Like I tend to err on the side of empathy, mostly because I am also a human being. And I think that sometimes as a coach, it there's this perception that I have everything figured out and that I'm perfect and there seems to be some sort of like level of achievement that I've gotten to that you know puts me above the human condition and that is 100% incorrect. I also like candy, cookies, and cakes. Um, I enjoy desserts. I have a very strong appetite. I, I've been dealing with my own binge eating uh, episodes over the course of my life, which ironically started uh, the pretty much the second that I started paying really close attention to my nutrition and becoming like so hyper aware of what I was eating, which I think is an interesting psychological phenomenon. You know, the the more we tend to obsess about our nutrition, the unhealthy, the more unhealthy it becomes in a lot of regards. Um, and I think that this, you know, there's sort of this fine line between trying to be diligent and being accurate and becoming obsessive. And I think human beings, at least in my coaching experience, tend to err on the side of being obsessive because we believe that being obsessive will at least cover all cover all of our bases. And when you cover all of your bases, you're more likely to succeed. And so that line of thinking, I think, is comfortable for some people. I've noticed that with clients that it tends to be where they err the most is on obsession. And I think that comes from a place of a, a good intention because they want to make sure they're doing all the right things. But it's my job as a coach to help reel them in when they've sort of jumped off the ledge and, and just become sort of obsessive and, and, and crazy minded about these things to say, listen, hey, it's OK. You're a human being. You're not a robot. All the math that you did to figure out your calories, all the math you did to figure out your macros, that's all important stuff. But it's important to understand that there's a range and that you're not going to suddenly turn on fat storing hormones for the next 70 days because you you ate 300 calories on Saturday more than you, sh you quote unquote should have or that was your maintenance or you ate over 300 calories more than you should have on Sunday. Um, and then also understanding that you can completely change things around by just going back to what you originally planned, uh, you know, the next day or, you know, if it's a Saturday, Sunday issue that you're dealing with, which I would say a lot of people have trouble on the weekends in terms of managing their calories. And I like to encourage people to understand that while I, I think that managing the kinds of calories you consume on the weekend can be very important, you don't have to be 
completely restrictive to what you eat on the weekends. There's lots of strategies you can do to reduce your overall calorie intake um, on the weekends or, or at least manage that calorie balance. So for example, you know, if you do three workouts a week, you could throw one of those workouts uh, during the weekends and allow it to sort of buffer your, your overconsumption of calories for that day. Um, you could also implement something like intermittent fasting, provided it doesn't uh, you know, lead to more binging. You know, I would say intermittent fasting is more of a mindset that's important to understand than it is really an eating protocol. I think it's more a structured method for eating. That could be really beneficial. I think making sure that the meals you consume beforehand, uh, you know, like let's say you're going to go out on a Saturday night and you know there's going to be drinks and, and you're going to a restaurant to eat. And so instead of trying to control all the calories at that event, control the calories for the meals prior to that event. So if you're going to go out to dinner, you know, have a very healthy, you know, low calorie, high protein breakfast, do the same thing for lunch, you're going to be in an optimal position to pretty much, you know, within, you know, decent reason, do whatever you want and not stress out about it for dinner that night. You know, you can have three or four beers. You can have, you know, the nacho plate that you're going to share with your friends. Um, and as long as you don't just sort of snowball yourself into a, a ridiculous amount of calories and, and not be mindful, I think you're going to be fine. The recoverability of something like that is actually, you know, recent, uh, decently easy to do so long as you are taking control of all the things that happened before that event. Um, I won't go too in depth about this because it might not pertain to everyone, but I'm, I'm uh, putting on a, a holiday accountability challenge to help, you know, my clients or potential new clients and members uh, manage their weight during the holidays, which is a very hard thing to do. And one of the things we're going to be talking about pretty much consistently is all the planning that you can do in the days between the events that you have. You know, because it's not the the Christmas dinner or the thanks. It's not even Thanksgiving that puts you know all those extra pounds on your body during the holidays. It's sort of the snowball effect of just you know giving up and not saying I you know I don't I or just saying I don't care about you know how many calories I consume and not trying to you know manage your nutrition um, and and debunking this idea that you have to be like all or nothing. You have to be perfect or you're just you're screwed for the rest of your life. That's a very bad way to manage uh, your calories, manage your weight, and, and honestly, it's an unhealthy practice. Um, so sometimes the the things that are best for our physical health are actually also the best things for our mental health. I would say that I mean you you don't you don't make a decision without thinking about it first, unless it's like a fight or flight response, right? But when it comes to what we choose to eat, we're always making a mental decision or a a cognitive decision beforehand. So the the healthier your mindset is around your nutrition and your exercise, the the better your physical health is going to be sort of as a proxy. Not always, but you know, if you prioritize your mental approach and your decision making, it's going to be a lot easier to manage your health and you're not going to, you know, fall down the the rabbit hole of, you know, diabetes and, you know, heart disease as well. So I think that's probably the the probably the the best place to start. The best place to start is to understand that your weight can flux 25 to 50 pounds within your BMI range and still be healthy. And then your body fat percentage is, is a greater indicator of your health as it pertains to your specific gender. So, you know, men, sorry, but you don't have as much flexibility. Women, you do have a lot more flexibility. Women tend to be harder on themselves because I think that they are consistently fed this image that they have to look a certain way in order to be valuable in society. And unfortunately, that's completely fucked up and not true. But if, I, if there's one thing I've learned from training female clients, it's that it takes work to unload a lot of that thinking. And I'm not a psychologist and I'm not trained extensively or pretty much anywhere trained in, in this officially. Um, but just based on what I've learned is it, it's a, it's a process of understanding that you have a lot of flexibility to be healthy. I understand that some females have body composition goals and that's fine. But if that goal comes from a place of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inferiority, 
because you don't have that body yet, then you're not going to develop a healthy or sustainable body composition with that line of thinking. So if you believe that your value is somewhere far off in the distance and you can only obtain it by reducing your body fat level, then when you finally get to that body fat level through you know, tons of discipline and hard work and all that stuff, maintaining that is going to be very, very challenging because you're constantly using an inappropriate and negative mental approach to a physical outcome, and that will not last. You have to feel first valuable as a human being before you can get to a, a body composition level that's going to be low enough for you to also sustain that over time. I haven't met one or even heard about one person that was able to get to a lower body fat level, have the physique they want, and be happy with that alone. So happiness does not lie in a specific range of body fat. You can certainly be healthier, and as a result of being healthier, you can certainly be happier, and you can certainly express your value as a human being much better, but there isn't some sort of locked-away secret value that's in a certain body fat range that when you reach it, you will suddenly become more valuable as a person and your life will completely change. Um, I know I'm not a female and I know I have a different psychology, but as a male trying to get to very low body fat percentages, I can tell you that I was searching for that very thing. And what I realized was is that my value didn't wasn't equated to my body fat percentage as I got lower and lower. Like being 11% and being 16% didn't make me any less valuable as a human being. Being shredded made me feel really good about myself, but I also was hungry all the fucking time. And being hungry all the time does not add to your quality of life. If anything, it decreases it. So I was happier being a very average and healthy body fat percentage than I was being a lower body fat percentage. And I can guarantee you that you talk to anyone who's been a very low body fat percentage who has to put a lot of work in to maintain that low body fat percentage that they're going to tell you the exact same thing. There are some bodies, there are some people out there that have genetics that make it very easy for them to sit at a very low body fat percentage range. And you might think that you're going to envy those people the rest of your life and there's no reason to waste your time with that because it's not like they have any control of that either. They just have really good genetics when it comes to controlling their body fat. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there are you know, genetic predispositions that make losing body fat harder in some regards, but do not some, somehow uh, circumvent the laws of thermodynamics and you know energy balance and all the things that go into it. So depending on your starting point, so to speak, you might have an easier or a harder time losing body fat or being able to maintain a lower body fat percentage. But understanding that you have a wide range of body fat percentages to be healthy in is probably the best place to start because then the obsession about or I should say the worry that might take place as a result of you know, being uh, a body fat percentage you might think is more unhealthy and understanding that, well, okay, you're in this range, so you know, let's go get your blood markers checked. Let's go get you know, your, 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 your health values checked. And if all those check out, then at that point, you should feel a lot better about the fact that you're going to live a very long and, and healthy life. From there, once you have all those things, all those boxes checked, then if you want to pursue a lower body fat percentage for the pure goal or challenge of being leaner, then absolutely go for it. But I think it's more important to eliminate some of these other factors about your health first, because let's face it, the vast majority of people that are either listening to this podcast or that exist in the world want to be healthy, happy, and have energy right? There's nothing wrong with that. You should want those things. Those all add to the quality of your life. You can do those things at the higher body fat percentage range of, you know, what would be considered healthy. So for men, 10 to 20%, for women, 17 to 32%. Uh, and so that's, that's a really important to understand because you could, I mean, the vast majority of people are going to have no problem fitting in those ranges, uh, you know, based on their gender. And so, you know, you, you might argue, well, okay, well, I'm, I'm a male and I'm 25% body fat. I said, okay, well, then go get your blood checked. All right, go get your, all your markers checked. If you maybe have one thing that's concerning, maybe your A1C, 
uh, maybe it's your you know, cholesterol, whatever. Okay, well, let's work on that. How do we work on that? Well, we work on that by looking at our calories, looking at our exercise, and finding small ways to implement more of those things within reason, and then find a way to manage those things so that we don't have to worry about what our body fat percentage and our, and our health is in relation to those things. So while genetics play a role that you have no control over, you have much more control than you don't have control. So you have a lot of control over things that uh, you might otherwise not think that you did. So your longevity as a human being is completely in your hands. And the sort of anomaly where, you know, you might have, you know, a person who has a history of, of heart attacks in their family, which is very unfortunate, but, you know, it, you can't prevent a heart attack any, you can't prevent a heart attack if you're like, of all the things that check out in terms of like being healthy as a horse, right? And this said person suddenly has a heart attack. They did everything they had control over. So you can't fault that person. And, and that person isn't going to be faulted either, right? They did everything they could. So you have a lot of control within that scope though, right? And so that's an important thing to understand. So definitely know your medical history, know your family history in terms of health, Know your body fat percentage, understand that your body fat, or I'm sorry, understand that your weight can flux wildly between sort of like the recommended amount of uh, weight for your height. So for me, again, it was like 145. I currently sit at probably around 175 at a body fat percentage that I'm going to best estimate at 16%, maybe 15%. And so, you know, that's about 20, that's about 30 pounds over what is recommended for me. I'm in a good range. I get my blood work done. Cholesterol's good. A1C is good. All these markers that are, are good predictors of potential long-term uh, health effects or preventable long-term health effects, they're all good. I, I Just to give you some perspective, I did my ancestry um, through 23andMe. And as a result of doing that, I was also able to look at some of the, uh, or I should say I, should, I had some of the data that was then uh, I could then use to figure out some more things about my health, and I used uh, Rhonda Patrick's uh, uh, DNA coding system. I forget exactly what it was called at the time. It was like ten bucks, and they were just going to spit you out a report based on your data. And one of the things that I found was is that based on my genetics, I have three different genes that predispose me to Alzheimer's. And just to look at my family history, my father's dad, so my dad's yeah, my dad's dad. Um, he had dementia and Alzheimer's and I'm not sure if that's what he died of, but he definitely had it in the last five to six years of his life. So I have a genetic component for that, which means that I need to be mindful of what I can do to minimize the negative effects of that gene, uh, to then, you know, make it so that I have the best chance at, of not suffering from that genetic condition because I don't have any control over the genes that I have, but I do have control over if, how strong those genes are turned on. So I don't know a lot about genes, but the, the small amount that I do know as it pertains to my profession is that genes are sort of like on and off switches. The things that you do in your environment can turn these genes on and can turn these genes off. If you spend a large amount of your life doing things that turn these genes on, they're going to manifest themselves, particularly in older age. But, you know, as you get older, you know, you have more evidence to turn that gene on than off. And, you know, vice versa is also true. You can do things to help turn those genes off, especially if they negatively impact your health. So one of the things you can do if you have a, a, a predisposition towards something like Alzheimer's is making sure that you get you know, healthy omega-3s in your diet pretty much, you know, your whole life. So pretty much making sure that you have a consistent and, you know, recommended dose of omega-3s in your nutrition throughout your life to help prevent some of these negative side effects of Alzheimer's. So what do I do? I make sure that I get my omega-3s. I make sure that I keep my inflammatory markers low through controlling my calories, eating whole food nutrition, uh, you know, exercising. Uh, one of the best ways to fight mental decline is strength training. I don't know if you guys knew that. I think a lot of times we, we tend to prioritize the physical attributes of strength training, but uh, there was a study that was done on grip strength and mortality, and they found that uh, 
men and women that had better grip strength into old age lived longer than those that didn't, which I thought was really interesting. And strength training is definitely one of those things that you can do to help improve your grip strength, but also just your your ability to be stronger into older age is very important, uh, both for the movement ability as you get older, but also just you know, for preventing the, the very things that nature sort of puts on you if you don't engage in strength training, which is becoming weaker and having less muscle mass. So strength training isn't just for show. It's not just for, hey, look at my biceps. They look great in this mirror or this selfie photo. It's more about how does this affect my long-term health? And that's one of the ways. So anyway, that was sort of a tangent. But, you know, to kind of get back to the point that I'm trying to make is part of not obsessing comes down to being as educated as you possibly can and getting the right information. If you have anyone that's barking in your ear over the internet or social media or you know even in books, one of the things you have to understand is that these things are not created in a vacuum. There are there are no like very specific things that we have to understand. Like if you don't get 100 grams of protein every day, it's not like you're just going to die one day, right? That's There's a range and it, it differs based on person and also differs on preference. There's a lot of flexibility with what it takes to be healthy. You don't have to necessarily consume one gram per pound of body weight in protein every single day to be healthy. It certainly can help, Right, Because like, if you look at sort of all of the effects that a higher protein diet has, one of the main ones is calorie control. And what is one of the main, what, what is 60% of your likelihood of you know, being healthy? It comes down to calories. So a lot of the things, like when I recommend whole foods to people, I don't necessarily do it because it has this many grams of uh, you know, uh, protein or, or this much vitamins and minerals and those vitamins and minerals are going to be super ultra, you know, protective against, you know, all the cancers in the world. A lot of times what happens is, is that those things are just best for producing the best outcome over time. Uh, yes, vitamins and minerals are important for things like energy production and brain function and all these different things. But it's also important for what controls 60% of, you know, your likelihood to live a healthy and, uh, you know, vibrant life, which is, you know, calories. They help control those calories. Um, and ultra processed foods are really very poor when it comes to being able to control, you know, things like appetite, satiety, um, you know, feelings of fullness, which is another word for satiety. Um, it's, it's generally harder to get full on ultra processed foods mainly because ultra processed foods number one priority are to not be satiating uh, if you look at the composition of you know ultra highly processed foods taste is the number one priority in fact a company that would prioritize you getting full off of their food would make a lot less money than a company that was just prioritizing the taste and the lack of fullness you get from their food so ultra processed foods are simply just a commodity that these companies make to make money. They don't give two shits about your health. I mean, that's not their, and, and to be fair to them, that's not their priority either. Like you're a free thinking, you know, decision making adult. You need to make these decisions for yourself and say, how do I create the balance between some of the best food that's ever been invented in terms of taste and my health going back to, you know, the whole food spectrum of things. So I think it's important to view it from this perspective because I think it's good to celebrate how amazing food is in today's world, right? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating these ultra tasty foods because to have that experience only makes our experience as human beings better. But to get that out of hand, to only prioritize what's called a hedonic state of eating or the hedonic experience of eating, and hedonic just means pleasure, right? So eating is going to be a pleasurable experience. It doesn't always have to be the ultra processed, uh, you know, food uh, experience, but having some of that in your diet is going to make your, your eating life more happy. You're going to, you're going to be better off having some of those foods. If I wanted to be a rabbit and just eat vegetables all the time, there's maybe some people that are happy with that. Maybe the simplicity of that adds to their happiness. But does it, any of that obsession about eating only healthy foods make their mental and possibly even their physical health worse? And this is where obsession can really become a problem because the word obsession essentially 
in our scope of this episode in, in fitness and nutrition is that you're so concerned with getting a very specific result that you do very specific things, which then obviously adds to things like stress and mental wear and tear. And the million dollar question is, is the obsession with your healthy eating going to outweigh the potential lower quality of life that you're going to experience with pretty much no marginal gain at that result? So what I'm trying to say is being obsessed about healthy eating is actually worse for your mental health and and as a result and sort of a synergistic effect worse for your physical health than having some sort of moderation and balance, knowing how to eat whole foods the majority of the time, you know, I mean, 75 to 85%, and then making a conscious decision to have these ultra-processed junk foods 15 to 20% of the time, and trying to stick to that like 80 to 90% of the time. And if you can do that, you don't really have a whole lot to worry about you know, provided your calories are in a range that's going to help you maintain things. Because you can certainly, although it's going to be much harder to eat healthy foods and have excess body fat, like you can still like you can still be sort of on the upper end of body fat levels and be slightly less healthy than you could be just eating quote unquote healthy foods, because there's tons of healthy foods that are really easy to overeat. If you haven't ever been introduced to peanut butter, that's a good example. Peanut butter is like you could put away 600 calories easy in peanut butter and barely even feel the difference. But if you were to try to do that in like protein or even like, you know, brown rice or white rice um, or even bread for that matter, good luck, man. You're going to get way, way fuller than you think. Uh, just because those calories are you know, processed differently and there's not a lot of volume to them. So what I'm trying to say is that obsession is actually a cause for worse health. So you, you never want to be obsessed. You have to sort of differentiate, if I'm saying that word right, you have to dif- differentiate <laughs> um, the difference between being diligent and being disciplined and being on task and detail-oriented and, f- and consistent from obsessive. And sometimes a break in the diligent work that you do is how you, how you avoid going into the obsessive realm of these things. Some of the hardest working clients that I've ever had, and even I've noticed this in retrospect of myself, have a tendency actually to fall victim to an obsessive uh, I'll just say it's you know obsessive uh, nutrition tracking or um, what they call orthorexia, which is where you're so concerned about your health that it actually becomes an eating problem. So just like anorexia is a eating disorder, orthorexia is where you're so concerned about your healthy eating that you develop an eating problem. You develop sort of a psychosis around uh, you know what you eat so much so that you're like maybe counting gram for gram you know, amount of carbs you get or the amount of fats you get. And so while that's more for the psychologist who has a specialty in that, I'll just leave it at this by saying that if if you're working really hard to do the right things with your macros and your calories, you might get to a point where you become obsessive. And you have to be able to understand where you're being obsessive and where you're being diligent. And here's a good way to figure that out. If you don't eat cake at parties, if you worry about the amount of calories and foods at social events, if you can't go out to lunch with your friends, if you worry about how many calories you're going to consume when you go out to eat with your family at a restaurant or you know whatever it might be, when you go into social eating environments and you're spending the vast majority of that time in sort of this state of anxiety, you are obsessive. That is not how you handle that situation. How you handle situations where there's social eating involved is all the time in between the social eating events. Now, you could argue that, like, let's say that you're somebody who goes to work or that works in an office building, you know, you do that whole nine to five deal and you go out to eat every single day. 
All right. That's different. That's like, okay, well, let's try to reduce going how often you go out to eat. Let's prepare some of our food. Let's at least shop for items that might not take a whole lot of preparation, but we have immediate control over how many calories we're consuming. And let's plan for that. And let's be more diligent with what we eat. The more you can plan in the times, which is far more than actual the social events, the more you can plan between social events to do your best to manage calories, the less you ever have to worry about the amount of calories you're consuming at social events. Because it's the accumulative, accumulative, man, I can't talk today. Maybe it's because I've been fasting and I haven't eaten lunch yet. The accumulative effect of your calorie intake that's important, not a single day or a single meal. Those are not important. It's the, the addition of calories over time. So let's say that you're in a calorie deficit and that means that you need to eat 2,000 calories. If you're consistently eating 2,000 calories Monday through Friday and then you go out to eat on a Saturday and Sunday, you go to some social events or maybe you just go out to eat because, hell, you're probably tired of cooking all day or all week. I know I would be. You go out to eat and you're you're going to you know have a beer or two or maybe you like a, a hard drink or a margarita. Okay, you get to have that. All right, and then you have your your meal, which is probably going to be at least a thousand calories because that's just. I mean, you look at any menu item on on any restaurant and look for one that's you know, look count how many are over a thousand calories. Right, there's probably going to be a, a, a vast majority. Okay, so I mean, there you go. There's already twelve hundred calories or so that you're going to consume. Planning for that and doing that once or twice a week not that big a deal. You have a lot more, you don't need to obsess about the calories in the moment of the social eating event. What you need to do is prepare knowing that, hell, I'm probably going to go out Friday or Saturday. I'm probably going to eat a little bit more on, on the weekends, you know, within reason. How do I best plan for that during the week? Well, Monday through Friday, I'm diligent with my calorie intake. I'm not obsessive about only eating lettuce like some kind of rabbit, but I'm diligent about my calorie intake. And although I don't like to use food as a reward, the way that I've thought about it in the past, and I'm certainly not saying that you necessarily have to do this yourself, but the way I've thought about, about, thought about it in the past is that my reward for being more diligent with my calories is that I get to have a little bit more calories on the weekends to, in, to have that fun time, to allow myself to have that wiggle room, to be a little less, you know, strict with my calorie intake. Give myself 200 calories more a day to consume on the weekends so that I can also benefit from the quality of life and social, emotional and mental health of socializing with my friends. If I'm the healthiest person in the world and I have no friends, I'm going to die sooner than someone who's a little bit fatter than me but has indulged uh, appropriately in social events and had a great life. Right? I don't I do not want to die with a low body fat percentage being the healthiest person on earth physically but then die of depression because I didn't have any friends or have any social events that I actually can think about or have any memories of times when I was eating with my family or friends or kids or whatever right so it's about the balance and I would say that that obsessing about either side of the spectrum is where you run into trouble it's actually when you let go of the obsession and you understand that you're constantly going to need to sort of balance this effect out when it comes to calories and the types of calories you consume. Once you understand that, it's simply you're just you're a juggler, right? You're just essentially juggling things. Okay, I had, you know, 200 or let's say I had 400 calories more than I usually, you know, quote unquote should have based on my calories. Uh, that, that helped me determine my, my intake and all that stuff on the Saturday and Sunday. Okay, well, what do I do now? Okay, well, it's, it's simple. You just go back to whatever plan you had that didn't have those extra 400 calories on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I got about 10 minutes before I want to end the podcast, and I want to s- touch on this before I, I go any further. One thing that's also important to understand, and this definitely of, is involved in the obsessive mindset, is that simply just doing the numbers. So simply just looking at the calorie numbers is not an effective way of understanding how to best manage your calories. I know that sounds sort of odd, so let me elaborate on that. 
A good example of this is I've had numerous women reach out to me either on social media or even had a couple clients like this who have told me what they've done in the past to make up for their overeating on the weekend. And what they have done is, is that if they eat, let's say 400 calories more on a Saturday and 400 calories more on a Sunday than they probably you know, should based on their, their numbers, that's an 800 calorie surplus, you know, just speaking numbers strictly, they reduce that from their calorie intake on Monday. Now, if you have a large calorie intake, like you're able to eat, you know, 200 or 2,600 calories and not gain a pound, that reduction in calories might not be that terrible, right? If you had to do it, it would definitely not be that terrible. But most women and most people, I would say most women, do not have calorie amounts that are that high, are typically somewhere in the 1,200, unfortunately, that's, I mean, that's the low end, and 1,600 calorie intake range. So 800 calories in this example would be less than 1,000 calories for that day, which means that day is going to absolutely suck, and you're going to do that with no marginal benefit going forward. Because we have to remember that calorie intakes and meals don't just exist in a fixed amount of time for that day. They affect the next day. In sports nutrition, one of the things that I learned was is that the calories that you ate on, let's say, a Sunday are going to affect your performance in the gym or in your sport the following day. So you, you can't just like try to isolate a single day and think that just because you're you're reducing the calories you already ate, that everything's going to be fine and, and dandy. From a number standpoint, that's very logical. I get that. But human beings are human beings. We're a vastly complex dynamic system between psychology, physiology, and, and all these different things that are all sort of, it's like an orchestra. It's like we're all, there's so many different instruments in this orchestra. If the flute suddenly stops playing, the music's going to be very different and it's going to affect, you know, the outcome of that song or that, that, you know, performance. So you have to understand that when you do that, when you cut those 800 calories out on Monday, it's going to affect Tuesday and potentially Wednesday. It could also affect, you know, this, uh, a meal the following day where you're overly hungry and so maybe you eat more than you really needed to. So it's a delicate balance between understanding what you know, how the calories matter, but also how those influence behaviors that you make in subsequent meals and, 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 and even performance, right? If you eat eight, if you normally train on a Tuesday and you eat 800 calories less on a Monday because you overate on the weekend, your training on Tuesday might suck, which is only going to put in motion more issues with your consistency, your adherence, and all the different things that you're trying to strive for. So, the best course of action is instead of saying, oh no, I went 800 calories over on the weekend, I overate, I need to starve myself essentially on a Monday, just go back to whatever calorie allotment you gave yourself. And I've had clients and I've even experienced this myself where like I eat 800 calories more on a uh, weekend total than I normally would. And on Monday, I just, I just don't really feel that hungry in the morning. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll just, I'll either skip breakfast or push it till later until I do get hungry. And then I eat. And then at the end of the day, I look at my calories and I'm like, oh, okay, well, about 300 calories less than I might normally eat to lose weight. That's okay. Right. I'm not starving myself. I'm not putting my, I'm not like sitting there like I'm so hungry and I'm purposely not feeding myself. I'm just, I'm just sort of going with the ebb and flow of my hunger and satiety cues. And that's okay. Right. That's, a, that's another thing to keep in mind is that I've had clients reach out to me and say, you know, like in, in the middle of a week, because I do check-ins with my clients every weekend. Um, and sometimes like in the middle of the week, they'll be like, I'm, I'm really not that hungry. I mean, let's set the stage a little bit. Let's say this person is trying to lose body fat. And they reach out to me and they go, you know what? I still have 300 calories left, but I'm not hungry. Do I have to eat those 300 calories? No. Right. You do not. Do not force feed yourself to hit your calorie amounts unless you're like a bodybuilder who's trying to gain muscle mass, right? That's a totally different subject. I don't work with bodybuilders and I have one or two clients that are working on muscle building, but even then I'll tell them, listen, if you're not hungry that day, let's explore why, right? Maybe you're overly stressed. Maybe something happened where your appetite just got tanked. Okay. Again, that's one day. That's one day in the grand scheme of all the days that are going to be added up. 
And you have to understand as a human being, it's about trying to make as many consistent days in a row as you can without becoming obsessive and allowing yourself to also be a human being in the real world who's going to have fun and who's going to have a lot of flexibility and variety, right? If you always eat the same amount of calories every single day, you're either a bodybuilder, a figure competitor, or a robot, right? You do not have to do those things unless you are those things. So it's, you know, it's important to understand as an average human being, you have to be okay with the recommendations that are given. Here's what, how I'll end this. I'll, I'll stop and sort of shift, but also stay relatable to what I was just talking about. The advice we get from bodybuilders and figure competitors and the people that we might aspire to look like in terms of body fat composition they might not be the best people to give us advice in this moment at the stage that we are in now. They, unless they understand how to appropriately position what we need to do in a, in a sequence that's progressively challenging but always doable, if they can't do that for us, the advice they give us is not going to work. One of the reasons why I became a coach is because I saw the consistent divide between the average person who is committed to making changes and the bodybuilder or the person that they aspired to sort of look like or at least get close to the advice that those people were given. Here's a great example. The recommended amount of protein that you should consume in order to build muscle is actually quite wide. It's a quite wide range, but it's genuinely one gram per pound of body weight. If I get somebody's nutritional intake, so before I, I bring someone on as a client, or at least the first couple of weeks, I need to learn a lot of information about them. If I have a client who's consistently eating not even half the amount of protein they should based on their body weight, do you think that I just say, oh, well, you need to add 100 grams of protein now? Just figure it out. You know, like here's a bunch of protein foods. Just eat it. No. I might say something like, okay, you're currently consuming based on these results, you know, 50 grams of protein a day. Based on your body weight, we need to get you up to about 150 to 175. Let's do that little by little. Let's add 15 grams here. Let's add 15 grams in two weeks. Let's slowly build you up to that protein intake. Or if you're the kind of person that's like, just give me the right foods and I'll do it. Boom. You can do that too. But the sort of recommended standards are absolutely necessary, but how you progress to getting them is important. Because if you just go, it's kind of like quitting smoking cold turkey. There's a small percentage of people that can do it, but there's a much larger group of people that can't do it. And just because the small group of people can do it doesn't mean that you should have to do that either if that's not the approach that's going to work for you. So just because your friend at the gym is eating you know, a one gram per pound of body weight, and you just got started and you try that and it, you're like, holy shit, I can't eat this much protein. I don't know how to organize all this. I don't know how to structure it with meals. That's understandable because that's a lot of protein. You have to sort of work your way up to that. If you make any progressional step towards consuming more protein in this example, you're going to be better off. And you have to be okay with the fact that it's going to take you some time to get to those ideal markers. Because if you're not, you're going to self-defeat yourself into this idea that you're not good enough or you're not capable. And that's not true at all. What you're not is patient enough to understand that what you have to do is going to take time. And that you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be level 100 if you're starting off at level 1. Right? You could, if you're a, a video game nerd like I am, you can think of it like, you know, the story of a video game character progressing through the ranks of a skill. Or, you know, something like that. You're not going to, unless you enter some kind of cheat code, you're not going to go from level one to a hundred. You have to progress with time and effort and practice to get, you know, to that level. You have to put in the work essentially. So anyway, I want to leave it there because I think that an hour is a good amount of time and I don't want to spend too much of your time on this episode. So you can go off and listen to new episodes. Thanks a ton for listening. I appreciate your time. If you don't mind leaving a review, make sure you hit that little star in iTunes to give it a review and then leave a comment if you would like. I would much appreciate that. And if you're listening on Spotify or somewhere else where they might not give you a review and you want to give me one because you want to express your uh, uh, 
your enjoyment and the value of this podcast, you can send me an email, shanehubbardfit at gmail.com, and I will use that as a testimonial, provided you're okay with that. I can also keep it anonymous. Um, I will use that on my website. I'll use it on social media, and that way, you know, more people can understand the value of this podcast episode. So if you're willing to do that, I would very much appreciate it. It goes a super long way when I get any sort of feedback, even, you know, critical feedback. Like I might have someone tell me like, hey, your microphone's too loud. Like turn it down. Like every time I turn on my car, you're screaming at me. And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> I will I will make sure that the volume of my microphone isn't too high. Or, uh, you know, maybe the clarity of my topics, you know, whatever. I, I'm always looking to improve because I want you to improve. And I think if we improve together, we'll have a much better experience. So anyway, thanks a ton for listening. I appreciate your time and your, and your consideration of listening to this podcast. Have a great rest of your day. And I hope that you have a great rest of your week as well.